Welcome. Welcome to the First Capital Vineyard Podcast. In this season, we're exploring our faith journeys and stories. Everyday Christians with extraordinary tales of hope, faith, and love. Our stories make us who we are. They are a powerful means of encountering and sharing Jesus and His kingdom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to episode two of the Capital Vineyard podcast. First of all, I just want to thank everyone who listened last week. We got some really great feedback on the episode, so keep that coming. Due to the lockdown this week, I'm going to interview myself, so that should be a bit weird, but I'm going to give my testimony. And um, as I said in the intro, I think testimonies are really powerful. Obviously, this is a powerful story for me because it's about me. Um, but you might notice some audio differences, but hopefully uh, we'll be back to normal after this whole lockdown malarkey. Oh God, I bring to you the doubt in my head. Oh God, I bring to you the stuff I don't get. Things that I said Oh God, I bring to you My disconnect I am a child of God I am a child of God I am a child of God It's an unusual thing to say but it really is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That um, we've been adopted as heirs and that um, we have become children of God. Um, in my testimony, I want to express how I've learned that I'm a child of God and how my Father will not let me go. To put it another way, Jesus is my friend. In fact, he'll violently fight for me even when I want out. He loves me as I am, how I am. He loves the very essence of my being, the core, even those parts of my personality I can't stand. And I've got quite a few of those that I can't stand. <laughs> I'm sure many of you feel the same way about yourself. But I've learned that he's wired me this way and that he loves who I am. And that indeed, even though I've done and said and thought stupid things, I am still a child of God. I want to talk about the small part of the glory that I've seen and what I've learned about when you can no longer see that glory. In a way, my story is a little bit of a paradox. It's about how I've learned that the presence of God 
or his glory is essential to my faith, but how I've also learned so much about him and his apparent absence. This is um, why I think we've been put here on earth, to worship the Lord God with all our mind and heart. This is the stuff that faith is built on, the foundation. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, all we have is a dusty book and a social club. Jesus is the key. He is our access to the glory of God and an intimate friendship with him. However, the dark night of the soul, a term that has its origins in the Catholic mystic tradition of the 16th century, is where my relationship has been truly forged. I have been transformed through doubt and mental illness and suffering in myself. I have truly and intensely found my friend and saviour. A little caveat here. I mean, I know my suffering in the grand scheme of things is really small, but it is my experience and it is suffering nonetheless. So I want to do two, three, two things through my story. I want to encourage you to pursue the glory of God or his presence with all your heart, but also to encourage you that even when it seems like he's not there, he is our father and friend and he will fight for you. Yes, yeah, so I want to encourage everybody to seek the Lord, to seek out his um, presence and to encounter him. And, you know, I don't mean necessarily like huge experiences at churches or whatever, laughing, shaking, burning bushes, glowing faces, gold dust. What I really mean is in that quiet place, that gentle whisper, that moment, a flash, where you hear him and feel him in the depths of yourself, that moment when he talks to you, right to your soul, and you just know it's him. Yeah, so here we go. My story from the start. So yeah, I grew up in a Christian household. I felt I was a Christian from the earliest of times. Um, yeah, I, I felt like God was real and that he was with me. However, as usual with most um, most people, it wasn't until my early teens that I think I had some of the most formative experiences with the Lord and where I'd kind of truly say a relationship started to develop. A really key thing for me was in the early days at the church I went to, uh, we had, I guess it was just like prophets, <laughs> well, you know, preachers rolling through town and they some of the ones that we had coming to our church were these kind of charismatic, um, all tied up with the Pentecostal movement in the States and the great outpourings of um, Pensacola and that sort of thing in the 90s. And there was one in particular, uh, her name was Jill Austin, and she used to visit the church. And in some of her meetings, I mean, the stuff the Spirit did just absolutely blew my mind. Um, I experienced the Lord in a very real and tangible way. Although, you know, I know that there was probably some hype around that and, um, you know, lot, lots of people question the nature of those sorts of encounters. But for me, at that time, 
it was absolutely real and it was foundational and I just remember like a few times just truly experiencing like right down inside um, the power of God's love and just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was there and that he was real and that he loved me probably more than that. Another really um, foundational thing uh, during this time period was the fact that I couldn't sleep as a young boy um, right from the almost as early as I could remember. I really struggled to sleep on my own in my own bed and so I'd constantly um, go into my parents' room and I experienced like crippling fear I I remember almost seeing things and maybe sometimes I actually was seeing things and I just had the most profound fear inside of me and I couldn't explain it. My parents couldn't couldn't explain it. They they tried every trick in the book to um, help me with this problem, you know, and then things were really getting on. I was getting into my early you know, 10, 11, 12 sort of thing, and this thing was still an issue. And one day, I think my parents obviously organised it, but they invited somebody around um, to pray for me. And, oh, man, I'll never forget it. Just when this guy walked in the room and looked at me, I just knew something was up. And um, I went through what I guess you would call um, being set free from a demonic presence. And again, I mean, this is all the (laughs) evangelical, like, um, Pentecostal cliches, but I can only say what I experienced. And so this guy prayed for me, and he went through sort of all these different um, strongholds in my life, and he just prayed through each one, one by one. And, um, you know, I had physical manifestations as these, um, as these things were being broken off my life. And it's just a miracle because, um, from that moment on, I was, um, set free and I could sleep by myself and I never had that, um, issue again. Tears that I shed. You know, like there was some mental things to work through, like in the in the in the immediate weeks afterwards. But essentially, like that was an absolute um, breaking of that whole problem off my life, and um, it's something that I've never forgotten. And when I have, it always comes back to my attention. So combined with that kind of experiences that I was having at church, there was a really profound um, personal breakthrough in my life related to God. And those, I guess, were some really key things for that kind of bedrock of my faith that I knew 
that I had a God that I could experience, but also a God that um, could actually help and could actually um, set me free and help me um, through anything. My plan of The third thing that was really important at this time was my baptism, where I mean, I still distinctly remember it to this day. And again, it's all so cliched, but it's just so powerfully true in my life. Um, so, you know, I went to like a, a family's house from our church and they had a pool and I jumped in with um, a pastor and a few others. And before they did the dunking, they all prayed for me. And um, I received some profound words that I've never forgotten. One of them, funnily enough, and I'll come back to this towards the end, was a prophecy about how my words would be like arrows that um, strike into people's hearts. And that's been a recurring um, theme throughout my whole life when it comes to receiving words from the Lord. And so, yeah, as I've already sort of noted, like these were the foundational experiences of my youth. <laughs> but <laughs> as teenagers tend to do, I soon um, drifted off. And I think one of the reasons why I drifted away from church was because my parents, um, well, they left the church that I was going to and I continued going to the youth group for a while, but somehow in the process of then leaving and learning about some of the different things that happened to them and experiencing a few things myself, like I just became profoundly disappointed by the church. And, you know, these are really common things. Um, but yeah, I was just absolutely gutted. And I didn't, I don't think I was exactly conscious of it at the time, but I just started doing my own thing, essentially. And I, yeah, I suppose you could say I entered my sex, drugs and rock and roll uh, phase <laughs> um, where I was just started to drink and started to hang out with all my mates and, um, you know, go to parties and um, all that sort of thing. And... To be honest, that was great. I mean, I had the time of my life um, during that <laughs> that period, and that's like the strange thing about it. Um, as you'll see, it does catch up with me, but at the time, at that moment, like in a strange way, I still felt like I had like a pretty vibrant faith, and um, I would talk about God quite often, and I would argue with my friends in the middle of 
drinking about Jesus and God. And in some ways, probably I shared more about Jesus then than any other stage of my life, which is pretty unusual. And yeah, this phase went on for most of my teenage years. Um, Eventually, I went to university, I moved to Wellington, and this is when, yeah, I got myself in a right pickle. I, by this stage, I would say that I was probably drinking um, three to four times a week, um, quite often pretty heavily on each of those occasions. So, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say I was an alcoholic. Um, I don't I don't know if I, t- if I was technically one, but I was certainly drinking a lot. Um, I got a girlfriend and everything that comes along with that. Uh, yeah, and by second year university, I just, I hit the wall. I don't really, it's even hard to say exactly what happened, but I had some sort of crisis and... Um, I just knew that I had to um, sort my life out and I had to get myself back on track. And um, to do that, I knew I had to break off this relationship and start going back to church. And around about this time, out of the blue at this flat I was living at, this awful flat where... um, you know, in the lounge, we had this huge lounge where we were above the ANZ, our BNZ bank in Karori, and all we had in this huge lounge was like one cut up couch, and there were bottles everywhere. It was, you know, a real cliche. Um, I got this call, and there was this random person on the other end called Robin Britton, and he, um, he wanted to invite me along to um, Capital Vineyard. And my first thought when I heard this guy was like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Like, how is this happening? And I, um, in my head, I was kind of rolling my eyes. But out of my mouth came, yeah, like, sure. Yeah, I'd love to come along to um, Capital Vineyard Church. And it, it so turns out that my mum had actually been praying for me like through all these years and she knew I was going through a real tough time and somehow she had got in contact with the church down there and basically got somebody to give me a ring. And with hindsight, I mean, it's quite miraculous that that occurred. And I remember the first time that I walked into Capital Vineyard I was, you know, a pretty scruffy guy with a big, big baggy jeans and big baggy hoodie as you did in the early 2000s. And I just walked in and I just burst out crying as soon as I walked in the door. I just, I immediately felt that presence that I'd felt as a young lad. Um, And... Yeah, again, it was just that profound sense of like a loving father. I mean, it was, I guess it was kind of like one of those prodigal son um, moments where you just, you've got absolutely nothing 
and you're just prepared to give it all, all that you do have um, back to the Lord. And so um, slowly from there, I started to transform my life again. Um, I moved out and of the flat I was in and moved straight in with all these really good Christian flatmates, which was really awesome, like actually uh, through David Moody and a bunch of other guys. Like I reconnected with them because I went to high school with David and he, um, yeah, I knew he was a Christian, so I hooked back up with him and and that's how they all started coming to um, CV as well. And yeah, at, at, in terms of university, like I started to really um, excel at um, history. Like my my grades probably went up like three points. Um, and I also um, met an amazingly um, beautiful woman um, who I went on to marry. That's Joella, for those that don't know. And yeah, so I mean, my life really turned to a huge corner um, just through um, coming back to the Lord. Um, Coming back to CV, I should say, really, because I don't think I ever um, lost touch with the Lord as such, although I think my connection was getting pretty tenuous by that late stage. In some ways, you could wrap wrap up the testimony there and just leave it at that, but... I mean, for me, that kind of, that stage of being the prodigal is not even really the beginning of my story as far as I'm concerned. And, it, you know, I mean, it was only a flash in the pan. Um, but, yeah, it's really from this time that I feel like my real struggle really began. And, yeah, in my early 20s, is when I really started to experience um, doubt and from there depression and anxiety, which are two things that have just been um, intricately linked in my life. By that I mean doubt and depression and anxiety. I'm talking about a long period of my life stretching from about when I was 25 to 31. The causes of it are really beyond me. But I guess um, carrying on at uni for too long, like I I did a master's in history, and at the time, most of it was just amazing. But I think things just accumulated in my life. Like I learned a lot of things that um, challenged my faith. And... After I finished university, I also, um, I got my dream job, actually. I started working as a historian at the Waitangi Tribunal. And, you know, I think God really placed me there for a reason. And it was a really great time in my life. But on the flip side, it was a brutally atheist workplace. I mean, yeah, the, the pe- people there were just really, really anti-Christianity. Um, and it was the first time I had really come face-to-face with that kind of powerful anti, um, anti-faith. anti And it, it really shut me down in terms of my faith. 
And on top of that, like I had, um, I made really good friends with lots of people and none of them were really Christian. Um, and they're all people that I still dearly love and I, I still have a lot to do with them. They were great people um, who really challenged me because, you know, in some ways I could, in some ways I felt like they were better people than I was and I was the one that was meant to have um, the saviour. I guess in a way it was also just growing up, that time of in your life where you're trying to discover who you are. I was recently married. We were trying to find out who we were as a couple. You know, we, we didn't have kids at that stage. And it was just a, um, yeah, that, that stage in life of really questioning and trying to understand your faith. Like, I guess it was one of those times where my faith could go one of two ways. It could either go deeper or it could be extinguished. And rather than going into painstaking detail about this period, I guess it's better to give a couple of snapshots and maybe a few images or metaphors of what it was like. In some ways, it's one of those things that's impossible to describe, and when you do try and describe it, it inevitably sounds shallow. You know, you can't convey the profundity of what it was like at the time. In some ways, it was like the opposite of my years in in my teens, where everything externally said that I was not a Christian. I was drinking, um, you know, sleeping with people, that sort of thing. But deep at that time, even at that, when I was doing those things, I still um, knew the Lord and in my heart I knew the truth. But in this situation, it was the opposite. Externally, I was... Um, doing everything right. I was going to church. I had a Christian wife. Uh, um, I had Christian friends apart from, you know, those that were at my workplace. Uh, yeah, everything externally suggested that I was a Christian. But deep in my heart, God just slowly dried up in my life. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even say it was intellectual. Like, in my mind, I continued to be a Christian. But somewhere deep, deep down inside of me, I was profoundly afraid that God didn't exist. Or, in fact, it got to the point where I feel like God didn't exist. My heart was telling me that God didn't exist. Against my will almost, like I wanted to believe, I wanted to continue my faith, I wanted to um, God to be real more than anything, but he was nowhere to be found. I was wandering in a huge desert, so, so thirsty. It was like I was standing on the edge of a massive cliff, surrounded by darkness, I just had to take that final step and finally announce I was no longer a Christian. The darkness 
was what I felt in my heart, that there was no God and that life was utterly meaningless and I was simply here waiting to die a painful death and along the way witness everybody I love suffer the same fate. Jolly, Lily, Esther Rose, Mum and Dad, all could be taken at moment's notice. It was just a matter of time before it happened. I guess the easiest way of putting it is fear and meaninglessness had gripped my soul. I just felt empty and I just could not connect with um, Jesus. It was all those profound encounters I had as a child and all that foundation seemed to be like stripped bare and it was just like blackness. I couldn't get back to the Lord. I think it was only the fact that I was married to a Christian woman that kept me here at times. In a sense, I actually started to feel bitter about my faith. It was like it wouldn't release me. I was trapped in a horrid life. I was neither a Christian nor a non-Christian. In this place, my mental health seriously deteriorated. I became an anxious wreck. My mind was a constant battlefield. I was constantly thinking about the meaning of life at the expense of everything and everyone around me. It got to the point where I'd wake up on Saturday and I'd know within an hour I'd be so nervous and anxious that it would ruin the whole day. I didn't want to do anything. All the things I once enjoyed were empty. Even the gifts I felt like I had were deserting me. I had moments at work where I couldn't even function and things that I thought I was reasonably good at, like public speaking, explaining history, just the basics. I just had lost all sense of myself. I would sit at church and I'd just cry out to the Lord, where are you? Why have you left me? Why can't I feel you anymore? Why is this blackness inside of me? What is happening? Please, Lord, please, Lord, come back into my life, please. And it got to the point where I was just sitting at church one day and I I was going to make the decision to stop believing. I was going to walk out the door and never come back. So I hope that gives you a picture of what my dark night was like. I was lost, utterly and completely destroyed inside. Although you could look at me and not even know it. I'm I'm not sure that many people knew that I was going through this torment at this time. But um, yeah, that was that was the hardest period of my life by a long stretch. So, how did things change? As I've said, this is where my relationship with Jesus was truly forged. But yet, to be honest, it's still a bit of a mystery. But God is sovereign and he never gives up. 
And that's where I just love the image of Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And for me, um, you know, I've heard teaching about this scripture where it's an allusion to the high temple and how um, the high priest used to have a rope tied around him and he would enter the Holy of Holies. And if he wasn't pure, you know, and, and he died, they could yank him out with the, um, with the rope. But for me, it's a picture of Jesus um, being tied to me and it, he is the one that's entered the sanctuary and he is the one that's tied to me and he has gone before us and he will not let me go and he fights for me and, you know, even though in my walk I actually felt like I wanted to leave him, he wouldn't let that happen. He fought for me and brought me back into the fold. I don't know if it was Jesus' plan for me to suffer this way or if it was sat- you know, Satan interfering in my life, but in, in reality it doesn't really matter because Jesus used that for his glory. He transformed what was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me into his glory. I like how First Peter puts it. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then in 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what actually did start to change? Well, there were just really small inklings of change to start with. Just tiny rays of light or the tiniest moments where I knew maybe something was changing. I remember one time on the drive back from Hawke's Bay, I was in the thick of one of my mind battles. You know, I was battling doubt and I was... You know, I I would just get into these huge internal battles about everything, you know, theological issues, all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, God just stopped that in my mind. And it was only literally for a split second. And it was like a voice that 
um, spoke directly to my mind and my heart. And he said, this is almost over. This season is almost over. Do you know what my reaction was? I said, don't tease me, you asshole. Don't tease me. I just couldn't believe it. But just the tiniest glimmer of hope was revealed at that moment. I had a tiny bit of rock to balance on. I had a ledge to stand on. Maybe it would end. Maybe God is who he says he is. Maybe Jesus is here with me. I should add here that having experienced God so dramatically in my youth was like a torment to me. I wanted that so bad. I needed the personal connection, but it had been lost. It was like my heart slowly began to thaw, though. Belief and hope began to eke their way back in. A little while after this, I started to um, attend a cell group with a couple called Sam and Shane. And um, we just, it was, you know, sometimes in a life group or a home group, you just go through these seasons of profound movement forward. And I just felt like that was, it was one of those times of my life. And it was like I had been brought back into... um, fellowship and I just yeah just like I was saying like I just started to thaw like my heart started to thaw and God started to um, speak to me again and I'll I'll never forget this time um, where Pete Harvey's mum was invited along to the home group and um, she gave me you know we again it was all very evangelical Pentecostal we all had a time on the chair where we all prayed for each other. But when I got up there, um, she just gave this most profound prayer and prophecy to me. And funnily enough, it was very, very similar um, to the, the prophecies at my baptism. And she basically commanded me to not be silent anymore. She said I'd been silenced and that I needed to speak again, that people needed to hear what I had to say. And so, yeah, I just started to reawaken. And um, it's hard to pinpoint a moment, but from that point, from around about this time like things just started to change like I quit my job at the tribunal and decided to be um, to retrain as a teacher and that has been a profound um, change in the direction of my life like I I really feel like that is what I'm supposed to be doing and um, that's been awesome Um, yeah I like I've, I've been trying to say, it's a bit of a mystery, but, you know, God just suddenly showed back up again. So to bring it all together, Jesus is our friend and he wants to know us and to touch us on the deepest levels. Pursue Jesus in his presence with all your heart. 
but also be encouraged that even when it seems like he is gone, he is our father and friend and he's fighting for you. Picture the father from the prodigal son steaming down the road to meet his long lost son, arms stretched open, wanting to embrace even before you've taken a step towards him. He is longing to have you in his arms. He's longing for you to abide in him and to, for him to abide in you. Um, thanks for listening I hope you got something out of that and hopefully next week we'll have um, an interview sorted from another person from CB so stay strong stay healthy and um, yeah push into the Lord during this lockdown I don't think there's ever been a more perfect time
Thank you.